just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Some familiar faces have new jobs running our state. Plus, the University of Utah healthcare workers unionize, and Joe Hill finally gets his monument. But is everyone on board? Executive producer Emily Means is here to help break it all down. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Welcome, executive producer Emily Means, and welcome, new listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited to have you. (laughs) Thanks for being here, y'all. Pull up a chair. I'm told that we got a lot of new listeners in the past week, which is really fun. Um, And what I just want to say to all of you is, A, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. I'm Allie. This is Emily over here on my right. Patty. (laughs) And what we do is we make a daily news podcast for people who live in the Wasatch Front and want to feel more connected to what's going on in Salt Lake City and to each other. Uh, This is our Friday News Roundup, which is basically where we say, hey, we read the news this week, so you don't have to. We're going to tell you about the top stories, and then you can get on to enjoying the weekend. Allie, before we get into it, I have some breaking news to share. (gasps) (gasps) Sometimes we break news on this podcast, and today I am breaking the news that CityCast Salt Lake won for the second year in a row— Best local podcast in the city weekly. (laughs) We really did. did. I've got got it right here, and I was just waiting to tell you. (laughs) Thank you to everyone who voted for us and supports what we do here at CityCast Salt Lake. It is our great pleasure to make this hyper local podcast because we love Salt Lake just as much as you do. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we also are curious if we'll be able to afford to live here in five years. (laughs) Among the many questions we like to explore on this daily news show. Okay. Speaking of which, let's get into it. Speaking of the future of the state, there are new people in charge of Utah. Indeed, there are, Allie. This week, uh, we saw elections for Utah Republican leadership in the House of Representatives at the Utah legislature. And we have a new House speaker. Representative Mike Schultz from Hooper, he'll be replacing Brad Wilson, who was House Speaker for, I believe, five years. He has stepped down to run for Mitt Romney's Senate seat. So we needed some new leadership. Was honored this week when they named a Great Salt Lake airboat after him to thank him for his service. So (laughs) you're right. Part of his legacy. The photo of him sitting on the airboat was like kind of HBO's Veep-esque. I loved every minute of it. So we've got the new House Speaker, Mike Schultz. We also have a new Majority Leader, Jefferson Moss from Saratoga Springs, a new Majority Whip, Carrie Ann Lizenby from Clearfield, and a new Majority Assistant Whip, Casey Snyder from Paradise. What do these people do, Allie? Please tell me. I think like the simplest way I can say this, the one sentence version of this is they get the rest of their caucus to fall in line 
behind their agenda, essentially. They figure out, you know, if they have the votes for legislation that's a priority for leadership. Uh, they also... That the speaker assigns committee assignments as well, and you know they do lots of other things too. They set the agenda basically for the legislative session, which in effect sets the agenda for the state. And every minute of our lives here, <laughs> depending on your view of the legislature, what I want to ask you. So we know that according to a legislative audit, there are four key crises in our state that these folks should be addressing in the upcoming session. Water, education, mental health, and housing. Do you think that that's where their heads are at? From what I heard this week from our new speaker, Mike Schultz, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, you know, he addressed the legislature. He addressed the House briefly um, in his first, you know, his first big moment as speaker. And it seems like, based on reporting from the Tribune, he mostly focused on division in Washington. Oh, yeah. Washington County, Utah? <laughs> no, not at all. Washington, D.C. <laughs> and, you know, it was very like... Utah way rah-rah kind of thing, you know? Like, we do things differently here in Utah. We need to come together. Oh, my God. Tell me you have greater political ambitions without saying it. <laughs> That's a very astute observation, Ali Vallarta. Speaker Schultz also mentioned this week he was interested in energy policy here. You know, like, this is a concern of his as well. We have listen, the legislative session is coming up in January. We will know even more on the very first day of the legislative session when Speaker Schultz lays out his vision for how the next 45 days will go. Um, but what we've heard from Schultz in the past is he's also really focused on pursuing more legislation targeting trans community members here in Utah. And I think that's raised a lot of red flags for people. That's based on reporting from the yeah. Standard Examiner, which is kind of Schultz's hometown paper up in Weber County. So we'll see. We'll see what we get. Can we talk about some of these folks' greatest hits? Because sure. they do have records. Like most of them have been serving since 2017, 2018. Schultz has been in the house since 2015. Let me tell you about him a bit. Uh, he's a real estate developer. Surprise! <laughs> and also a rancher, a cattle rancher, I believe. Oh, my God. The Utah Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So he's a real estate developer who wears cowboy boots, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he would be very proud of that characterization. Uh, Schultz was among a group of lawmakers who pushed to remove a pride flag graphic from a UTA bus this year. Other things he's worked on recently... Uh, the most recent inland port bill, which was the inland port bill to end all inland port bills. And that was in the 2022 legislative session. This is the bill in which Salt Lake lost voting power on the inland port authority, but secured more future tax revenue from the port area. So he sponsored that bill. Yeah, that's kind of what we understand about Schultz at this point. Um, and I'm very curious to see how he conducts business differently as speaker from Brad Wilson. And I don't know if he will. My favorite Representative Schultz moment is 
So, and the reason I think that this matters is that something that comes up a lot when we talk about the Utah legislature is their unique relationship with the will of the people. (laughs) We saw in 2018, three ballot initiatives and a ballot question get ostensibly gutted in various ways at the Capitol after they were passed, reflecting the will of the people around a variety of issues, Medicaid expansion, legalizing marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. And do you remember in 2018 when there was a decision to put a question on the ballot that would increase the gas tax to fund education? And the decision was to turn it over to voters and see if they want us to fund education by increasing the gas tax. This, of course, matters because Utah spends the least per pupil of any state in the nation. And Representative Schultz at the time wrote a bill that would immediately void that decision no matter what it was. (laughs) It would have canceled out the increase in gas tax, even if it passed by the will of the voters. So I'm like, in terms of the legislature's relationship with the will of the people, if that indicates the direction we're headed, status quo. I've also been thinking about where our legislative leadership has kind of been located in the state as well. So Brad Wilson was from Davis County. Same with Senate President Stuart Adams. I think we see typically like a lot of leadership from the northern parts of the state. And I mean, I have to think that these guys are all friends, right? <laughs> like, And so they can't have too different of an approach to these issues or, you know, to the will of the people. So, yeah, by all indication, I don't really see Schultz differing that much from Brad Wilson. I think that he has also said You know, he's interested in pursuing more legislation around the Great Salt Lake, which is kind of what we saw Wilson do in the past couple of years. That's why he's got an airboat named after him (laughs) in in part of his legacy. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see if there's any sort of shakeup in the direction that uh, that we're headed come the general session in January. Hard to say. I will say here's what I think like the message should be right now around this news. Representative Mike Schultz is now one of, if not the second or third, most powerful people in the state of Utah. (laughs) He now basically controls the legislative agenda. Get to know him. Save his number in your phone. I'm not kidding. Listeners, pull out your phone right now. Create a new contact. Call it Representative Mike Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Under a job description, write Speaker of the Utah House. (laughs) The number is, for his office line, 801-859-7713. We are slowly rolling into a new legislative session. It is our job to hold these people accountable by communicating with them ad nauseum. Get to know him, introduce yourself to him, send an email, send a call, and save that number because there's a good chance you're going to want to use it in January and maybe before and probably after. I would absolutely recommend you introduce yourself before the legislative session starts. Try to establish a relationship. I have to tell you, Allie, I'm I'm not totally sure Speaker Schultz is going to respond to anyone's text messages, but no harm in trying. No, absolutely not. But you can inundate his office inbox. And that's, 
I mean, that's really the only power that we have. And I will say the other thing is like when you make calls, when you email, what we are told time and time again, and I mean, I know this from being on the other side of those calls and we've heard it from members of the houses, speak from the heart, tell your story, talk about how an issue relates to you. The copy paste kind of messaging, while it's good as like an organizing tool for getting a lot of people to sign a petition or send a particular message, it's not as effective as a unique email or a call that is like really sounds like you. Before we move on, Emily, I just wanted to say on the note of Utah Republicans in leadership, did you see that Utah Representative Blake Moore was elected to a leadership role in the in the U.S. House of Representatives? He is now the seventh ranking yes. Republican there, which he hasn't been in office that long. So that is quite an ascension. Yeah. And maybe it speaks to, you know, the impact, the authority Utah has do we no I don't know it confuses me what is he just like a really likable guy (laughs) he is quite young and I think that they're often looking not in first or second ranking but in you know sixth seventh ranking to build a bench and so if you you know are looking to build a bench he's interesting he's not like a lightning rod member of the House, you know, he's fairly young. He comes from kind of a neutral state. Like, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Assuming that it was strategic in the first place, which we shan't. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is, I think political scientists would say it really benefits Utah to have our our Congress people in leadership, especially because, I mean, completely going back on that inclination I had, we're not a very impactful state, right? Like we have four Congress people. So having one of them in, in a position of authority, that's good for us. Yeah. So that's Representative Blake Moore, and his number is 801-625-0107. Save that sucker, too. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 
80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Here's something that I think is really interesting that came down the pike this week. Happy birthday, Utah Health Workers United, Local 7765. Welcome to the world. (laughs) Wow, they've birthed a union. Yes, they birthed a union. The first union in Utah tied to a healthcare system, which I think is really interesting given that it's one of our biggest employment sectors. Yeah. I got to say, these healthcare workers have been laying the groundwork for this for a while. Like, the group uh, Unite Utah RNs first popped up on Instagram in September of 2021. That's two years ago they made their Instagram page. Oh, wow. So, like, this is a very been a very drawn out, very thought out process to get to this announcement and this point. Here's what the union is saying. These are their basically demands. They've formed themselves and are saying, what do they want? Listen, the pandemic took a massive toll on the physical, mental and financial well-being of healthcare workers. I think we all know that. That's why we were out banging pots and pans at 7 p.m. for like a year there. But there hasn't been an adequate acknowledgement of their value. And in the months and like year following the quote unquote end of the pandemic, like we haven't made it right. And in particular, staffing shortages mean that they these employees have not really had a break since. The current University of Utah policy I was interested to learn incentivizes something called just-in-time staffing, which basically means they keep as few workers as possible right. on a shift so as to I mean, the union would say decrease labor costs. I think the university would probably say, well, we are in a national, nay, statewide staffing shortage and crisis for healthcare workers. So this is also our way of like trying to stretch out the staff that we've got to meet our needs. Nonetheless, I mean, if you're in a psychiatric ward and you've got one nurse for every 10 patients, I mean, that is exhausting, right? Right. The other thing that they're saying is the wages and benefits here do not reflect the cost of living on the Wasatch Front. And we think that that's kind of leading to your recruitment problem. (laughs) Like it's hard to recruit when the pay isn't competitive and it's hard to make a case for living here when the pay isn't competitive. And I mean, I saw in this in this story by Courtney Tanner in the Salt Lake Tribune, um, you know, it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? Like they're losing their most veteran staffers. Because they're not being paid to match their qualifications and all the hard work they're putting in. And then, I mean, when they do actually hire, you have all these inexperienced healthcare providers. To me, Allie, this is like, of all the places where we should really invest, it should probably be healthcare, right? Because it's so essential. Like, you can't just have one dialysis nurse who knows what they're doing. Right. Because it's a life or death situation. One thing that stuck out to me from Courtney's story uh, was 
there was like a spokesperson for the U.S. healthcare system who said they were prohibited from recognizing organizations for the purposes of collective bargaining. But in Courtney's story, at least the way she framed it, is the law does not say prohibited. It says not required. And so I really am curious to see if the U healthcare system or to what extent the U's healthcare system actually does work with the union um, or if they're just kind of, you know, they've put their stake in the ground already. Yeah. I mean, Utah is a right to work state, which means, yeah, to your point, the university is not required to recognize this union nor negotiate with the union for a contract. And I mean, the University of Utah is a state-run entity. Yeah. So if they're interested in a standoff, they've got power. So it's going to be up to them to determine what this looks like. Like, I do think it's kind of, okay, your move, University of Utah, right? Yeah. But despite the fact that Utah is a right-to-work state, we have seen organized labor be effective here in the past. Like, that is not to say that it's not possible to to collective bargain or to pull that lever. Um, you know, think about like the Park City Ski Patrol. Right. When, I mean, B- Park City Mountain Vale, like that is a powerful entity. And they didn't get everything they wanted, but they definitely moved the needle um, on a lot of issues for ski patrollers across the nation by virtue of their strike here in the state. So, the power of collective organizing is hard to understate, especially in a sector that's dealing with a labor shortage. Like, I don't even want to say it because it would be truly, I mean, like could be life-threatening. But, like, just imagine a strike of healthcare workers. Well, there was a nationwide strike last month uh, among Kaiser Permanente hospitals. I mean, the healthcare worker shortage is a national problem, so it's not like you can – it's also not like you can pop up to Idaho and be like, hey, you want to live close to the national parks and, like, make just the same amount? <laughs> um, yeah. Allie, I have I have a little bit of bias here, I guess, because my mom is a nurse in Utah, and, I mean, every day she comes home – and she used to work three 12-hour shifts each week. Not so anymore. She's now working something like four 15-hour shifts some some weeks, and she is totally drained. And, you know, she's the most senior member of her team, and she feels such an obligation to her patients. And I think that surely most healthcare workers feel that same obligation, right? That's, I think, generally why people get into this field is because they care about people. And so my mom doesn't feel like she can just, you know, she can just quit because who will take care of the patients? At the same time, she needs help. She needs to be recognized for her work and the life-saving care she gives. My mom is also a nurse and she would like to retire, but is dealing with the guilt of knowing that there is a staffing shortage and who is going to do the job. And most people don't get into nursing for the money. They get into it because they have a good bedside manner and they're interested in patient care. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting about this. So I went and just kind of looked to see what nursing jobs are available at the U. And of course, this union is not just nurses. We're talking pharmacists, valets, schedulers. Like, But I went to see what the nursing jobs pay and how many listings there are on the university's website. First of all, so many. Night shift, date shift, I mean, part-time. What do you, what do you want? What do you want? We got it. But 
no pay listed. And I hate that. (laughs) Can we make it a thing of the past to not put the salary on your job posting? Like, give me a break, right? Now, there was this interesting note that said, Hospitals and clinics is embarking on a new program to attract and retain qualified employees. There is a signing bonus for new hired employees. Does it say what the bonus is? Tell me. No. Oh, my God. So it's like, how about a little transparency, (laughs) y'all? A little transparency. It always cracks me up. You know, they'll host like Nurse Appreciation Week or whatever for my mom and her colleagues. And what do they get, Allie? What do you think they get at Nurse Appreciation Week? A mug that's like full of taffy. Box of donuts. No. <laughs> yeah, basically the equivalent to that. And it's like, just pay them more for God's sake. <laughs> Show your appreciation, you know, with a with a nice salary raise. Okay. It's giving Veterans Day <laughs> when we like raise a flag and don't like give people health care. Yeah. On the note of labor, there is something else really exciting happening this weekend in Salt Lake City, which is that the monument for labor and union organizer, Joe Hill, is finally going up. It's going to be unveiled Saturday morning at 9 a.m. at Sugarhouse Park. I walked by it the other day and saw it as a work in progress. It's kind of at the top of the park. Where the come and go will be? Not quite the... No, the come and go won't be there. But like kind of near where it, it could have been. Yeah. And I think this is so interesting because it's kind of been a controversial thing to come to fruition in the city. In fact, I was reading a KUTV story from 2015 that quoted at the time Salt Lake City Mayor Ralph Becker and uh, candidate Jackie Biskupski, also former mayor, she did end up winning, like giving their takes on whether or not it should exist. So like this is like a long time coming. I had no idea. I have to be honest, like, I seriously didn't know anything about this monument. And I especially did not know there was drama behind it. Yeah, this is someone's Hoberman arch. (laughs) (laughs) This actually might be AFL-CIO President Brandon Dew's Hoberman arch. Um, Joe Hill was an activist and a songwriter who was convicted of a double murder in Salt Lake City. And he was executed at the Utah State Prison on November 19th, 1915. Now, why build a monument for a murderer is a good question, Emily, that you might have. And the reason is, so basically, like, and I'm going to link in the show notes, um, the AFL-CIO's sort of, like, whole write-up on Joe Hill, because it's very, very interesting, and I won't get into the details here, but ostensibly, like, This guy was Swedish. He moved to the U.S. He was a labor organizer all across the country, total rabble rouser, like had been fired from jobs for trying to organize unions. He was a singer songwriter who wrote like picket line songs that people chanted and sang. And he settled in Salt Lake City. And one night he like got into an argument with someone. He ended up getting a gunshot wound. He knocked on someone's door to like try and get help. Meanwhile, across town, there was a double murder, and Joe was accused of committing that murder because he had knocked on someone's door shortly after with a gunshot wound. What? Neither witness was able to identify him conclusively. The gun used in the murders was never recovered. And actually, this campaign to exonerate Joe Hill for this crime began two months before his trial and continued kind of up until now. 
I mean, this was 1914. Like, apparently, allegedly, President Woodrow Wilson was was like part of this campaign to exonerate him. But the Utah Supreme Court refused to overturn the verdict and the Utah Board of Pardons refused to commute his sentence. So now you get to generations later in Salt Lake City, people who work in labor are like, this guy's a martyr. Like he was accused of this because nobody liked him because he was trying to form unions in Salt Lake City. And then you've also got like descendants of the family of the victims who are like, well, he was tried and convicted. Like we don't want to see a monument to the person that killed our great, great grandfather and his son. Right. Mm. So it's Mm -hmm. been up to the Sugar House Park board of like directors, basically, I think they call it the governing authority to determine whether or not to okay this monument. And it is like almost 10 years in the making, potentially more. Oh, my God. Isn't that wild? That's a great story, Allie. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Joe Hill, the Salt Lake Tribune had a few years back a really great in-depth spread. I'll link that in the show notes. But, um, you know. We also have a Joe Hill mural on the side of Ken Sanders' rare books. So I would check that out if you're, I don't know, if you're way into Joe Hill art now, (laughs) now that you've heard this show, (laughs) go check that out before the building gets knocked down. Title of episode, we did it, Joe Hill. The thing I will say that's interesting to me, like the reason that this is being put at Sugar House Park is because Sugar House Park is the site of the old Utah prison. And where they are putting this monument is where he was executed by a firing squad. Thanks for the history lesson, Allie. Epic Brewing is one of the OGs in building Utah's craft beer scene, but I am most excited about their recent adventures in canned cocktails. First, they released the Utah Mule, and as a big fan of ginger, I have been sipping those for almost a year now, but now, this April, we have the Utah Margarita, a delicious, locally fermented blend of real lime and agave And they create alcohol by fermenting cane sugar instead of using tequila, which means you can buy Utah margaritas at the grocery store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita or Utah Mule at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's. Or you can visit Epic Brewery on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. They're open seven days a week. And this fall, look out for the Utah Cosmo. Mother's Day is on the horizon, and the good news is that you can find everything you need at Harmon's. Whether it's a little something to brighten Mom's Day or a memorable spread, here are a few ideas. For breakfast, try Harmon's house-baked cinnamon rolls with freshly squeezed orange juice and a package of fresh-cut strawberries. If you're spicing it up with Bloody Marys, don't forget that Harmon's has an olive bar with over 12 different varieties. Now, flowers are the perennial favorite, and you can order online or pop by the store last minute. Shop succulents, potted plants, and elaborate arrangements. May's flower of the month is the hydrangea. Very appropriate. Hydrangeas are fragrant and elegant. And if sweets are in order, Harmon's has added raspberry to their selection of brownie flavors. Find all mom's favorites at your local Harmon's or order online at harmonsgrocery.com. 
Let's get into pick of the week and get out of here. Emily, what's your pick of the week? Allie, I'm going to be shopping local this weekend. There is an event Saturday and Sunday called the Nine Lineup. Uh, It's from 9th West to 13th East. There are a ton of local shops on 9th South between those those two cross streets. And a lot of them were impacted by the construction of the Nine Line Trail that happened. um, Gosh, it feels like it it took many, many years. I'm not sure how long it actually took. (laughs) It was a real summer project. I feel like that's when they really kind of dug in. Right. And some businesses say they were their bottom line was affected by that uh, by that construction. So this weekend they're hosting a a big push to uh, support the small businesses along Ninth South. Love that. What a fun idea. Check it out. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is reading the book No Parole Today by Laura Tohey. Laura Tohey is the poet laureate of the Navajo Nation, which if you don't know, a good portion of the nation, not the largest, but a good size one, overlaps with the state of Utah in the southeast corner. This is Native American Heritage Month. We are coming up on Thanksgiving, a holiday that is hard to reconcile. And No Parole Today is a collection of poems and prose about the author, Laura Tohey's experience attending an Indian boarding school. It's I think poetry is always just like a really interesting and enlightening way to read someone's firsthand account. Um, And I think firsthand accounts are incredibly important when we're talking about history. The other thing about Laura that I think is fascinating, her father was a Navajo code talker, and she gave this lecture that I watched about Navajo code talkers at Arizona State University, and it's free online, and I'm also going to link that in the show notes. But um, pick up a copy. Read read some Diné poetry this month. Great pick, Allie. Thanks, Emily. All right, let's get out of here. I wish you a wonderful weekend. Emily Means, executive producer of the best podcast, <laughs> local podcast, according to City Weekly readers. Uh, and I'll see you Monday. Thank you. Ali Vallarta, host of the best podcast, CityCast Salt Lake. See you Monday. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez, Lizzie Goldsmith, and A.K. Almumen, and Dylan Brogan. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria, with additional music from all the kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this fantastic city. Have a great weekend. 